As Galatians 5 says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, let's keep standing in our freedom. And uh, I think that if we can really follow through as we continue through the Sermon on the Mountain and to realize that this actually was not a sermon that was given for bondage, to put condemnation, to put us under conviction. It was a sermon to actually give us freedom. So he says, therefore, why in the world, at the next verse, why in the world would you place yourself back under this yoke of slavery and get into bondage? And so we're going to look at today's passage today. Uh, and as we do, we are going to come back and remind ourselves of a couple things. In Proverbs 20, uh, 5, verse 2, it says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of high people in high positions to search it out. I believe that in the Scriptures, that if you just read through and just read through the words of it, there is a hidden message you cannot see. I believe you read the words. I, I believe you say, God, good story. But underneath, there is a live river that's flowing, and it's up to us to search out the matter. And today, I hope as we begin to bring revelation to what the sermon is about and the Sermon on the Mountain and the Beatitudes, that we will see this river and your eyes will be opened by the Spirit of the living God, for he says, I have given you eyes to see and ears to hear, that you will therefore then begin to make it practical, applicable in your daily life, in your families, in your jobs, and all the things that are there. There are others that will go ahead and hear the message and hear the words, and they will go ahead and stay in bondage. But I believe that God has set us free in Christ, and I believe that the Sermon on the Mountain is an extraordinarily positive portion of Scripture, if we will come to the place of understanding it. Uh, we are going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. I would ask that uh, you stand with me, those that are able to stand with me. You don't have to. The reason that I have people stand sometimes and Ben does and Nick does is because even like when you go into the courtroom and the judge comes in, everybody says, but everybody rise. I just did a wedding this week, and when the bride comes down with her father, I said, would everybody rise? It's to demonstrate respect, to demonstrate honor to that person that is you're standing for. And so when we rise, we're to demonstrate honor and respect for the Word of God, that it is truly what it is said to be. It is His very voice and very life of God. So when we stand, make sure it's not just something you do out of just rote memory. So if you'll join me and listen to as we read Matthew 5, verse 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform the Lord, uh, to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or even by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, so let your let what you say be simply yes or no, and anything more than this comes from evil. You can be seated. <clears throat> now, a lot of you are kind of scratching your head right now, so let me read this in another translation and see if it hits home. 
And don't say anything you don't mean. This council is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you, but you never do it. Or you're saying, God be with you, you're not really thinking about it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace and making your speech sound more religious. It becomes less true, so just say yes and no. When you manipulate your words to get your own way, you do wrong. So now we got your attention a little bit. With the words, I, I think it's important that we understand again what was being done here on the Sermon on the Mountain. And I think it's important that we understand that what was being done back then, I have at least, my opinion is, it is no different than what is being done today. We live as they lived. They lived, uh, and it was very, very important to them what the outer appearance looked like. And I think we do that as well. We can list the different ways and different things, whether it be our house or our our money giving or our appearance and all the things, the outer appearance means an awful lot. We also get our judgment so strong when we're always looking at the outer appearance. We have somebody, uh, let's say in the congregation that falls and slips and sins, and we look at that outer sin and that outer appearance and we start forming judgments. It says these are the things that the world eagerly looks like. When God came and, and he anointed Samuel to choose David, and they didn't choose the big, strong, mighty people, and the reason that he came and answered that in the Scriptures was he said, man looks on the outer appearance, but God is always concerned of the heart. So how many times have you heard in the last, however, when we started this message, this is a heart issue. This is a heart issue. I know Ben said it at least 30 times. Nick has said it, I have said it, Evan has said it, Boomer said it. This is a heart issue. Well, then let's stop for a minute if this is a heart issue. What's that mean to you and me? What are they talking about? Let's go back to Ezekiel. There was a promise made that Ezekiel made, and there's two verses in, or two portions of Scripture. Ezekiel uh, chapter 11 verse 19 through, 19 through 20 says, and I'm going to give you one heart, a new spirit I will put within them, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, that you will walk in my statutes and keep the rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Again, Ezekiel 36 says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll obey them. And you shall dwell in the land that I've given you and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Now, this prophecy was made by Ezekiel that there was going to be a day that God was going to do something and it was going to be transforming. It was going to be a process where now God himself was going to come inside and was going to manifest his presence within mankind for those that would receive the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, he said, I will then be able to put a new heart in you, something not, I'm not going to come in and mold your heart and redo it. I'm going to take the old, put it away, and put a brand new heart in you. 
And that heart is going to reflect the very heart of God. It is going to carry with it all of the fruits of the Spirit of God. It is going to have the potential to love the way that I have wanted you to love from the very beginning of mankind. And in this understanding, you will therefore then fulfill the entire law of all of the things I've said. They won't be all of these outer things that you focus on and you look at. Your heart will be transformed. Get that as we go further here. If you in here have come to faith in Jesus Christ, whether you feel like it or not, your heart has been made new. It's brand new. It possesses everything that Jesus is telling his disciples here. And then to go ahead and show them how radical and how incredible this is, he goes through and lists about everything you and I can imagine. Now, I want you to get this. This is a story about your new heart. It isn't focused directly upon all the things of murder and anger and lust and divorce and adultery and your, uh, your oaths and your judgments and your money, and he's going to keep going all the way down to everything he thinks of in life he is going to hit. And we are all talking about those things. There's a reason that he shared those, but they are shared secondary to the fact that these things that you're all concerned about out here are not the main issue. The main issue is your heart. And if you will let that heart come alive in you, then you won't be sitting here focused on the whole thing of divorce, whether you got divorced or didn't get divorced, and bringing condemnation or shame or judgment. It'll be about your heart in terms of how is your heart doing in the people you're with? Is it loving? Is it laying down its life and giving its life itself to people? When it comes to the murder, because they said, well, we haven't murdered, said that once again, you're looking at the outward appearance. I'm saying it's not even the fact that you have anger, because you all do. It's the fact that your heart inside is filled with the, the fruits of uh, self-control. And those are the things that we are going to focus on. But however, just so you and I have an understanding of when we're in off-center or when we're off-center to the left. There's a verse in Isaiah that says, and you will hear a word whispering in your ear behind you whenever you get to the left or whenever you get to the right. And the Spirit of God will say, this is the way, walk in it. So my job today, as we talk about oaths or swear by or promises that your tongue and my tongue make, it is not, and my purpose is not, to bring condemnation to anybody here. It isn't so God will say, see, you're all guilty, although you are. Okay. You ought to try studying this for two months and find out how much I find I made I broke every one that I was going to tell you about. Okay. It's just amazing. It's, I don't think James was, uh, was off when he said the tongue is a, it's a restless fire full of deadly poison. It has the ability to set on fire a flame and set a whole forest aflame. That's what our tongue can do. The Proverbs refers to your tongue and my tongue as a sword. It has the ability to cut and stab and jab and wound. 
Solomon knew about the tongue and he wrote about it often. And he even says, and by the way, if you're going to go ahead and you're not so committed to the outward appearance, and so you're going to go ahead and use your tongue in your little bedroom where you think it's quiet, he says, by the way, birds fly away and reveal the things you've spoken to other people. It isn't even the fact that you're not outwardly saying things. He's saying, I'm concerned about your heart. What are you saying about people? I have prayed this. I know you may think this is weird, but I looked in the Bible and I saw that this happened numerous times where God stapled somebody's tongue to the roof of their mouth. I've prayed that for me. You can't talk when it's stapled. I've even prayed that he'd put a muzzle, a guard over it. We'll get to the end of the sermon today and we'll show you that that doesn't work. But we'll show you what I think does and how you can have some control over it. So that is kind of a runway here for you and I to realize that, okay, now he's going to bring some insight into what making oaths look like, what making promises look like. He goes all the way back to Leviticus, and he talks about it in Numbers when, when women and men make promises and vows to people and why it's important that they keep it. Even in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he says, you better be careful when you walk before the throne of God. Make your words very few. Because anything that passes over your lip, you better be willing to let it come to pass. So I'm going to show you some ways that our oaths and our promises and the things we swear by, what they do and what they look like. Again, the only reason I'm showing it to you is so that you will go ahead and say, that's me, that's me. First service, I said, kind of when you look at the Beatitudes and, and Jesus starts out and he, he begins by a, the first one he starts out, if you say you've not committed murder, I say if you've called your brother a fool, you're guilty. And, and it's kind of like, let's see, you're all sitting down here, and I go ahead and make that play. Anybody called their brother a fool, stand up. You're guilty. And then he went on and he said, anybody that committed, has not committed adultery, you think you're okay. But I say, say if you've even lusted, you've committed adultery. Stand up if you're guilty. And he, I went through all of the things that he says. And do and you know what? Even back when Jesus was doing this, there were still a few sitting out of total denial. And he says, all right then you better be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. And still some sat there. I'm hoping that as we say this, you at least come to an honest thing. A person came up to me after the first service and says, I asked my wife, would you be embarrassed? Because I'm standing. And I wasn't asking you to stand. I just wanted you to kind of get the picture of that. Here's the point. If you are convicted as I share this portion of Scripture from all the way that what oaths and promises and swear bys look like, it's only for you to get honest with yourself and say, wow, I'm guilty of that. And it doesn't feel good in my heart that I'm guilty of that. And thank you that you have given me a new heart that I no longer have to continue like that. And whenever that comes up, Holy Spirit, you have total permission to barge in. Tom picked a song today that says, let the Spirit lead me. 
and with no boundaries. Let it take me into deeper parts. Are you willing to let the Spirit of God get in there and move into places that sometimes you haven't let Him go? I see no better place to start than with your tongue and my tongue. It's just amazing the damage that the tongue can do. Now, with all that said, please try to lighten up a little bit. Okay. Swearing and, and making oaths was a very popular thing back then. It was something that the Pharisees used to put power behind the words they were going to say. It's sort of like we do in the court of law where we say, all right, put your hand on the Bible and swear uh, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We're swearing on the Bible. We're saying we are swearing on this truth. Now, today, that's not as much meaningful as it was when our country was founded. That was huge. Because your country is founded by God, and so you're swearing by God that this is true. It's to put power behind what you're about to say. Well, these people, these religious people, they began to make oaths and promises to manipulate things, to get things the way they wanted. We see it often in our sales on television, and you see ads. People make promises on big things to manipulate you and me to buy what they want. Normally, it's to make some value go on to something I'm about to say to manipulate me so that I can get my own way. Now, I related to this as I studied it, and I looked back at it, but I had no idea where God was going to take that, and as he began to make it be living and alive inside my life today, because you're going to see what that really looks like in our life today. How do you and I make oaths? How do we make promises? How do we say things that hinder the glory of God rather than letting your yes be yes and your no be no? It's here today. This new heart has begun. What Jesus was talking about is here. So we're going to let at least it shine on you so that then we can bring ourselves to a place of repentance and, ex and acknowledge what he did on the cross for us and acknowledge that. It says in Proverbs 29 as well, see a man who's hasty in his words and his promises, and there's going to be more hope for a fool than for him. Hasty in his words. I'll have to tell you that uh, that was huge for me. I get very hasty in my words. And when I started getting honest with myself, uh, by the way, this is not fun for me to tell you these things about me. <laughs> I make statements. Matter of fact, I'm reminded of my grandchildren sitting over here to the right. <clears throat> and I've made promises to them out of, in my mind, good intention. You know what we're going to do? Grandma and I have decided we want to take each of you on different trips. We want to do some fun things and spend some unique time with you. We started with Callie, the oldest one. The next in line are waiting. <laughs> the other ones that left, the other five or six that left earlier the first service, they're waiting. To me, they're good intentions.
To them, what are they? Their oaths. Their promises. They count on it. And God says, if you're going to go ahead and make a promise, make sure you carry it out. And number one, you shouldn't be speaking a promise unless I've laid it on your heart to do it. So I've broken those. I, meant, I tend to mend them. We're going next week. Promises. Hey, Donovan, I heard about that. I'll be praying for you on a regular basis. That's, a prom- that's an oath. That's a promise. He says, don't do it. Make your yes be yes, your no be no. How many promises do we make to our spouses? Especially as I performed a wedding this last week, I listened to their oaths preparing this message, and I'm thinking, this saddens my heart that you're making a vow before God, and God says, if you make a vow, you better keep it. I'm not wanting to put guilt on all of us in here. God says, I looked down upon the human race and I found all guilty, none innocent. Here's one that I do. Going ahead, hey, Drew, gosh, I've not got to spend time with you. I don't know you very well. I'd love to hook with. Hey, let's get together next week sometime. Anybody say stuff like that and then don't get together next week? I don't intend to not get together, but you'll notice why, how that's a manipulation. It is to make him think that I'm a really kind person to think well of you, and so therefore, look, Bill wanted to get together with me, and do I fulfill the promise? It's a broken vow. It's a broken vow. Let's just get honest about ourselves. Now, there's gobs of other ways you and I do it with our tongue. But I want to stop right here to say here's what God intended when he wrote this and sent it out to, in the sermon, he's saying this. Don't make vows, because the Pharisees, the religious people, made these big vows because they always used the big things because the outer appearance is what felt good to them. And what he was saying is, I want to show you what it's like to have a heart issue because if you understand that new heart I put in you, then every person you have contact with or every person you talk to, they are way, way more important to you and their good is more important to you than anything. So out of your mouth will not come vows. Your yeses will be yeses and your noes will be noes. Anything different from that, I want you to identify it so that you can become aware of it and, begin, and turn from it and say, God, I did that and that was wrong, and so I'm going to ask you right now to let me understand what it means to let your life and your love flow through me so that if I'm with somebody and I'm visiting and, uh, and, and, and I'm with that person, that my heart of love will flow through them. If I do that, I won't make false vows. It's not for you to stop trying to make the false vows. You won't be able to do it. If I could shine a light on the back of this Bible, and this one's well used, see? I have at least 75 verses I've written out in longhand about controlling my tongue. If that worked, I would have only need to write one of them. 
People with penicillin, it came out, it was the answer. Have you ever noticed all these things they're, they're giving and sending you? This is the new diet. There's been new diets since I was born that basically is telling you that most all of them don't work completely. They've all are not like that. So here's news to you. If you want to go ahead and say, wow, I've been convicted here today. I'm going to stop that. Good luck. You might make it down the hill. So what is he saying here? What is this leading to? What is this whole point that he was saying, blessed are the poor, blessed are the humble, blessed are the meek. Blessed means the presence of God in you. Do you understand what I'm saying, Jesus says? I will be living in you. You won't have to go over here and try to follow out or stop doing or trying to do the Ten Commandments. He says, you will not do those things because I in you will not do those things. If you will abide in me, then out of you is going to come a whole new way of living life. And it's not going to be trying to manage sin. And it's not going to be trying to manage your tongue. So let me, in conclusion to all of this, begin to say there's lots of ways we make vows. There's lots of ways we make promises. And when you're doing it, just let it trigger you that, hey, that's not how I was designed. Because I was designed to be involved with people. So let me give you two things. There's actually three. But let me give you the first two things of what I know God was pointing out that will be helpful. It's the only thing that has given me some victory in this. The only thing. Number one, listen and not talk. Listen. Do you notice when you're listening, really listening, you can't be talking? Now, if you're like me, sometimes you can be listening ready to talk. Okay? And I have, a, I have a blessing and I have a curse in my life. One of the spiritual gifts I have allows me to every conversation I have with anybody, anytime, wherever we are, verses are shooting into my head to verify the conversation. Is it true? Is it not true? Sounds like a blessing. But guess what? The enemy shoots just as many verses into my head, just like he did with Jesus in the temptation. Always Scripture. So when you're talking to me, and let's say that uh, we're going to be visiting here, again, Drew, you say something, I got a verse in my head, I'm ready with the verse, and I don't hear a word you say. But I've noticed, if I truly listen to that person before me and care, not just their words, but listen to their heart, listen to them, I begin to be involved in their life in such a way that that fruit now begins to come out of me and I am very, very cautious with my words because I've just heard and I've listened and sometimes all they want is maybe to be held or all they want, especially my wife. My poor wife has gotten the fact that I preached, the fact that I was a counselor, she's got gobs of words given to her her whole life. I'm surprised she's not all better by now. Okay. I've counseled her day in and day out. And most of the time, she just wants me to listen, just to listen. So put that down. God, how you designed me to be a listening. You said you've gave me an ear to hear, to listen. 
Here's the second thing I'm going to ask you to do. Right now, I know a lot of you are getting nervous. We're going to memorize a scripture together. This, memor- this scripture should stick in your head for the rest of your life. Some of you are saying, I've never had that happen. And that's because sometimes when we memorize scripture, remember, we remember the words. We don't remember the life of the scripture. In Proverbs, uh, I think it's 24, 16, or 16, 24. I can't remember which one it is. I'll look at it in a minute, but here's basically what it is saying to you. Let's get that right. 1624. Now, we're not going to look at the words right now, because you'll just go right to the words. We're going to look at the life of the words. It basically talks about a wise man. He ponders, and he ponders before he speaks, because good words are a honeycomb, pleasant to a person's soul and healing to a body. But let's make it real in your life and my life. Let's memorize it this way. If I'm going to be a wise man, or if I'm going to be a wise woman, I want you to think about this, put it in your head, then I'm going to let time pass, maybe four seconds, five seconds, and listen to the words that are starting to make themselves whole in my mouth. I'm, going to, I'm, not going to, I'm just going to listen to them in my mouth. And as I listen to them in my mouth, I'm going to ponder on those words, Are those words good words for the person I'm talking to? Are they pleasant words for the person I'm going to talk to? And if so, then I'm going to let them come out of my mouth because these type of words not only build up a person's soul, they actually bring healing to their body. You guys realize you've just memorized that? You don't have to say it exactly like that, but right now you have no excuse because it's hidden in your heart of how to ponder words. Embarrassing for me, when I started doing that, I found that I spoke half the time the things that came into my mouth. You know what that told me? Before I did this, I must have spoke half the things that were not edifying to people. And the words were making vows and promises and all these things that kept coming out of my mouth. So I'm going to ask you to consider doing that. And then consider listening. Okay, we're going to do communion here today. And if, uh, is Janet here? Okay, Janet, if you'd come up. The words that she has in this song are powerful. Let these words sink into your heart. But I want you to make this practical. You remember communion when, he got, when Jesus told him, he says, whenever you do this, whenever you eat, whenever you drink, always do it in remembrance of me, of what I have done for you. As it relates to this message, and he says, okay, whenever you eat, we're going to take these elements, they're going to be passed out, and if the people could start passing those out, it would be great. God has probably put on your heart, if I know God, where your tongue has been guilty of some of these things. And if it's not your tongue, maybe it's just your thinking. That's okay. When you take this, you're going to be reminded that Jesus already paid the penalty for that sin of your tongue. It's been paid in full. And whenever you drink of the wine, it's the blood that was shed that poured out on the cross for you that basically says, let's wait on them. We're going to do them together. I paid the cost. And then it's just a reminder, we're all doing this together today. But he's saying, 
Every time you eat or drink, do it in remembrance to me. So after the song, we'll take it together, but listen to the words of the song.